Hey everyone, I'm Caitlin Barnard. And I'm Victor Gamow. In this series, we chat with software developers and technology leaders to tackle your biggest API connectivity challenges. Stay tuned to this episode for tools, tactics, strategies that will help you to take your distributed architectures to the next level. Let's begin. So today I'm really excited to welcome Tim Heinrichs, co-founder and CTO of Styra. So Tim is here today to talk to us about implementing authorization for cloud native apps. So Tim, could you just start us off by giving us a quick rundown of you know, authorization for cloud native apps and how it relates to common connectivity challenges? Sure, well, uh, first, thanks for having me, Caitlin. It's, uh, it should be fun. Um, yeah, so authorization is one of those things that uh, we've sort of seen and and dealt with for you know for decades really. Remember, uh, so it feels good to actually mention what authorization actually means. So what we're, what I'm going to be talking about today is really this problem of controlling what people and what machines and what actions they can perform on software. So you know we're talking about you know if it's a banking application, you know can I withdraw money from an account? Um, and I'll contrast that with authentication, which is something people sometimes confuse. And remember, authentication is just proving to the machine that you are who you say you are. So you know typically you solve that with usernames and passwords. Today, we're going to be talking about authorization. So once the machine knows who you are, what actions can you perform? Withdrawing money from an account, closing it, opening it, whatever. So that's kind of what we're talking about today. Um, and then especially we're going to be focused on, you know, authorization cloud native, you know, which for me is, is, is super important because there's so much around cloud native that's making authorization more important than it ever was before. And, and to your point, you know, how does that correspond to connectivity? Uh, well, really the way we, we like to think about it is that the, the application uh, in this modern era has sort of been broken into a bunch of different components. And obviously, uh, those different components communicate through APIs and, and you need to establish that kind of baseline connectivity. That's kind of what we always assume. Uh, we have to do some work to make it happen. Uh, but then once you have that connectivity, the next kind of question you need to answer is, well, the authorization problem, which is which of those services can, can communicate in which ways uh, to which other services. And I think that's a great place to start diving into this where, you know, just the explosion of cloud native has introduce some new challenges here. Can you give us a quick rundown of, you know, what those challenges are now um, when it comes to authorization? Yeah, so one of the great things about this sort of this cloud native movement, this movement toward applications built out of microservices is that, you know, you've broken, as I mentioned, all these applications that into a whole collection of components now that interact in, in interesting ways. Um, and that makes it easier to build and deploy and uh, these applications more quickly than ever before. Uh, one of the, which is I think one of the key draws to the entire cloud native movement. Um, but what that also means is that now you've got far more pieces of software that are all having to communicate via APIs, right? In the, in the old days, maybe you had a three tier architecture and you had a relatively small number of these components. In the new world, you have maybe hundreds of microservices and they're all communicating over APIs. And so uh, that, 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 that new explosion of APIs uh, means that there's more of a security problem, more of an authorization problem that needs to be solved. And then if you sort of layer on top of that, the fact that all these services are so ephemeral, right? They maybe spun up for a, for, you know, a few seconds uh, and, then, and then spun back down. So uh, all of that sort of lends itself to a need for better security, more dynamic security uh, and, and, and tighter authorization all across the board. Definitely. And so you're one of the creators of Open Policy Agent or OPA. Um, and OPA was created to essentially help address these challenges. So can you give us a quick intro of what OPA is? Great question. So Open Policy Agent is a cloud native uh, policy engine. Uh, it was designed to solve authorization policy problems across the stack. 
So regardless whether you're talking about APIs or databases or cloud resources, all of those uh, different areas, all those different domains have their own policy and authorization challenges. And so, uh, you know, before OPA, every single one of those different products and, and projects had their own way of solving authorization. So the key idea behind OPA is to provide a single unified way of solving uh, authorization policy across that stack. And so when, when I like to talk about OPA, I like to talk about you know, the really four things that it provides, a, a policy language, a file format that you can use to express policies, uh, a policy engine where once you load it with some of those files, you can then ask it to make policy decisions for you. Uh, and then some basic tooling around helping you write policy, around debugging, authoring, and, um, and maybe profiling. Um, and then finally, a bunch of community-driven uh, integrations with OPA so that there's something out there in the world that actual, actually will enforce the policies that you put into OPA. Um, and you know, one of the things we talk about in this, this cloud native world as well is kind of the flexibility and all of that. So can you talk about the different ways that you can deploy OPA? OPA obviously has some pretty ambitious goals, you know, provide one policy language for everything. Uh, and so it's flexible in a number of dimensions, one of which is sort of architectural deployment patterns that you can apply. Uh, there are a bunch of different ways you can do it. You can go ahead and take OPA and embed it as a library within, let's say, an application. You could run it as a sidecar. We see that a lot for like a microservice authorization use case where you've got 500 instances of your microservices and you'll end up with 500 instances of OPA running right alongside all of them. Uh, you can deploy it as a, uh, as a daemon as well. If you're not running sidecars, you kind of reduce the, the footprint there. Uh, and then you can also use it as a building block for centralized service. We, we see that as well uh, uh, all over the place. So. Those are some of the key key options that you have, and and the kind of nice thing about OPA is that you can then take and use it to uh, to solve whatever whatever architectural performance availability challenges that you have uh, uh, to to meet the needs of, of your application. Awesome, and you know, taking it back um, to authorization policies here, and you touched on this a little bit in the beginning. Um, what kind of authorization policies can you write within OPA? Great question. Yeah, it's, it's a common one, and it's kind of surprising to some people that that OPA can be used for so many different use cases. Uh, for APIs and cloud resources and, and, and data, uh, and even CI/CD pipeline. So, you know, in terms of the domain itself, you can really write a policy over anything you like. I will call out a couple of things, though, especially in the application space. A common question we get is, well, are we talking about service-to-service -service authorization? You know, which machines can run APIs and which other machines? Are we talking about end-user authorization? And the answer is yes, both. Um, you can sort of uh, again, because OPA was designed to be this sort of domain agnostic policy engine that allows you to express whatever policies you like, whether you're writing policies that are conditioned on which you know, machines, which services are, are performing or trying to run API calls or which people are, 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 are uh, trying to run those API calls, you know, OPA doesn't really care. And so you can even mix and match those. Um, and then the other thing that I'll, that I'll call out there is just that another common question we get in this space is like, is it role-based access control, attribute-based access control, or something else? And again, the answer is yes, both. In fact, uh, OPA is uh, expressive enough to do you know, role-based or attribute-based access control. You can encode access control lists. You can encode IAM uh, kinds of policies that you'd see on the public cloud. So again, that's another dimension of flexibility that we see a lot of people like OPA for because they can, at the end of the day, write the policies that they need to write. Absolutely, and you know, when it when it comes to authorization, obviously this is a piece that's crucial for security, and it's definitely something you want to get right. I know we've seen this a lot, especially in the Kubernetes side of things. But are there any best practices you can share for writing these policies? Yeah, best practices are good. You know, I, I think one of the things that we see people do uh, when they when they when they write policies well, we see a pattern emerge, and that pattern is is pretty simple. It, it you know, you start with you know, figure out honestly what the English in English or whatever language you're, you're speaking, 
what what policies you actually want to write down and what policies you actually want to enforce. And, and it turns out that uh, I, I don't know how many times I've been sitting in a meeting with 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 someone who's you know trying to work this out, and they've got some big spreadsheet that says here are all the cases that I want to cover, here are the policies I want to write. And then you have you know several people at the meeting, and somebody says, oh, I don't really understand it. I don't really understand what we mean by this this part of the spreadsheet. Um, and so, like, just getting basic uh, basic understanding of what policies you actually care to enforce is, is step one. Uh, and then, so once they've worked out that, then step two is understanding sort of the the schema for the data that you're going to be given uh, in order to actually make decisions. So, you know, whether you're talking about a gateway or service mesh or Kubernetes or anything, uh, the kind of the, the way that Opal works is that it will go ahead and send over a, a big chunk of JSON that represents you know, a, a, an HTTP API or a Kubernetes resource or, or whatever it is. And so you need to understand what that schema is and where the information that you care about actually exists within the schema. So that's step two is figuring out and understanding what that schema looks like. So now in step three, you're all ready to go ahead and write down your policy in, in Rego, which is, which is the name of Opus Policy Language. Um, so anyway, that's the kind of best practice we see. When people follow that, that three, those three steps, we, we see them be far more successful than when they don't. Yeah, that, that's a fantastic advice. It's funny. It's one of those things I feel like we sometimes overcomplicate, but when you really break it down into steps like that, it, it, it seems so much more simpler. And, and you know, one of the things we're seeing on the Kong side um, that I'm really interested here is a lot of companies aren't necessarily modernizing all of their applications all at once. So, you know, with OPA, how can organizations adopt an authorization layer in situations where they, you know, maybe have existing applications? Yeah. Yeah, this, this is good. This is a really interesting one to me because, as you say, so many people already have so many applications that aren't built in cloud native. How do they start, you know, in in uh, slowly over time, sort of pull in those applications so that they get some of the benefits of cloud native? Uh, so we see a couple of things that folks do. So one of which is that uh, we see a number of maybe financial institutions more so than anybody have a bunch of pre-built, you know, uh, existing applications that are running on premise. And a lot of them have uh, are, are sort of dependent on an entitlement service, a service that when asked, will go ahead and return all the entitlements for a particular user. Um, and so one of the barriers for them just lift and shifting those applications into the cloud uh, is that is that is that they have to also lift and shift. They have to have a cloud native implementation of that entitlement service. So that's one thing that we see people do is first they'll move that entitlement service over, implement it in OPA, and now they can actually move those applications into the cloud. But the next thing that we see people do is they say, okay, well, I also need now authorization security in place uh, for, for my apps that are now running in the cloud. So they want to go ahead and put some of those rules and, uh, and authorization policies into a gateway. Um, and so now you've got, you know, you sort of moved the perimeter. So each app now has its own little perimeter that you have sort of enforce that at the gateway. Uh, and then what we see is a third step is they say, all right, well, now I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with this application. Now I can start actually breaking it into pieces, starting to use a service mesh. Uh, and so now, uh, when they embrace that service mesh, now they can take those uh, those policies, those authorization rules, and and move them and enforce them again even closer uh, to the back end services or front end services that that they're using. So that's kind of how we see the progression from um, uh, and it doesn't always have you don't you don't always always have to follow all those steps, but we see all three of those steps uh, being employed by folks who are who are mo moving existing apps into the cloud. Yeah, and and this is kind of where that Kong piece comes to, comes into play and. Um... You know, we enable users within that connectivity layer via either that gateway or within a service mesh um, where that authorization can layer can sit with OPA. And then the company you founded, which is Styra, which Kong is a partner of, helps extend that functionality of OPA to integrate directly with that Kong connectivity layer, as you mentioned. But um, can you tell us a little bit more about what Styra is building on top of OPA? 
Yeah, so Styra uh, aims to provide uh, basically a management layer, a control plane, a single pane of glass to help you manage all the instances of OPA that exist out there in the world. So, right, so we kind of talked earlier about how architecturally flexible it is. And so that's kind of what we, that's what people end up doing is they'll deploy not one instance of OPA or five, but maybe 500. Um, and so then there's a very clear question that needs to be answered, which is, um, which is how do you write those policies? How do you test them, deploy them, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's where, uh, where Styr's commercial product comes into play. One way that I like to think about it is that, you know, we've got, uh, we aim to, 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 you know, make this policy management problem uh, and rolling out open to the enterprise much easier, both for individuals as well as for, for teams. And obviously there are different requirements for, for each of those. Um, and, and the other thing I like to think about is that, you know, at, over time, one of the, one of uh, the things that we do is that we learn a lot about how you solve, you know, service mesh authorization or gateway authorization or whatever, Kubernetes authorization. And we bake all that expertise that we've gained uh, into the software and so um, into, into our software. And so therefore, you know, when you come in, you don't have to go and read nearly as many docs or understand quite, quite as much about what's going on because the software sort of guides you uh, down the path. Awesome. Well, thank you for the fantastic overview of authorization, OPA and Styra. We will have links in the description of this video so that you can check out um, both OPA and Kuma. So those are both um, open source projects that are part of CNCF. And then we'll have links to check out both Styra and KongMesh, um, their enterprise counterparts. So Tim, any other final comments that you want to leave the audience with today? Uh, I would just say, yeah, go check out uh, Kong and, and Kuma, uh, sorry, Kuma and OPA and uh, KongMesh. Uh, and Styrodaz, Styrodaz, uh, I'll, I'll point out there, you can sign up for free and, and check this all out, you know, quick starts, uh, sample apps, sample data, so you can, it'll walk you right on through getting this set up and up and running. Awesome, fantastic. Well, um, it's been a pleasure talking with you today, Tim. Thank you so much for taking the time and we will see you all next time. Thanks to everyone out there for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast using your favorite application so you don't miss a new episode. Don't forget to drop us a comment if you have any questions for today's guests or if there's a topic you'd like to see us cover in the future. For more content from today's guests, you can join us on YouTube to see demo segment from this episode of Concast. We'll see you next time.